Welcome to the Theology Mom Podcast, hosted by theologian Krista Bontrager. Each week, Krista provides practical teaching to help everyday Christians gain a deeper understanding of their faith. And now, here's Krista. Good evening, everyone. Happy Monday to all of you. And I want to thank you for joining me for this live stream. And I am live here on Monday, October the 10th, and looking forward to talking to you all for the next hour or so and bringing you a live teaching. What I'm going to be doing tonight in this live stream is kind of extending a blog post that I did a few months ago. So if you want to know more about this subject, um, I'm going to share my screen here and try to do this all a little differently today. Um, so some months ago, I did a blog uh, called Which BIPOC Voices Should I Follow? I'm not going to go through this entire blog post, but what I'm going to do in this stream tonight is take the principles of this post that I made and show you how this question shows up in real life, how it shows up in our hiring, how it shows up in the churches that we choose to go to, and um, what uh, conferences we might choose to attend, or how we decide whether or not to continue to go to a particular church because of how the pastor preaches. So this is going to be an eminently practical stream in really helping you get clarity and understanding the two models that are out there um, in the Christian sphere, in Christian schools, colleges, ministries, churches, that there's two competing models that are out there uh, in the public square answering the questions of race and racism very, very differently. All right, let's get into it here. Um, this whole blog post and conversation was really sparked by a tweet that I saw some months ago that said, who are the Christian BIPOC voices you look to for wisdom and truth on the regular, both here and on Instagram? And I thought, this is such an interesting tweet because um, it, it sparked a lot of conversation on Twitter and it really immediately surfaced the, the reality that there are two competing models when it comes to talking about race and racism in Christian spaces. And so I, sure enough, when um. I clicked on the tweet. I'm just going to show you a few of the responses here. Um, it was very interesting. So one group of responses was Esau McCauley, uh, Pastor Eric Mason, Charlie Dates, Mika Edmondson, Christina Edmondson, um, Kemeny Uwan, Kyle James Howard. It's all of these people that are on uh, Dante Stewart that are on one side of the conversation. Then someone else posted a competing list. Vody Bauckham, Sam Say, Daryl Harrison, Virgil Walker, um, the real Monique Dusan, Ariel Bavat, Neil Shenvey. And so I thought, you know, this is this is the perfect example of something that I don't think very many Christians understand. And it highlights this whole issue of, well, what is the black perspective? When people ask that question, they're usually not asking about people in that second list, people like Vody or Sam Say or Monique or Virgil or Daryl. They're, they're asking that question, you know, the black perspective of more in that, that first column, that first group. And, I think that when we see calls for diversity in Christian churches and ministries and schools and colleges, the call will go out, you know, that we need diversity. We need diverse voices. 
But what I don't think many Christians understand is what this actually means is we need voices, usually black voices, who are in that that first group. Um, hiring Vody or hiring Virgil and Daryl is not the kind of diversity. It's not going to help uh, a church meet their diversity goals. That is it tends not to be the case. This is not actually a conversation about hiring black people. That's just kind of the superficial way of seeing it. The real issue is how do we hire people of color, usually black people who also have a particular ideology and this highlights the whole issue that there are these two competing models that are out there and they answer questions very differently. So I'm just going to put this, my blog post back up here a minute and just to illustrate this. So here's some of the questions that I came up with um, in my blog post is what the question, what is race model number one? And model number two, answer that question a bit differently. But there is more similarity on, on that issue than on some of the other questions. What is racism? Okay, the two positions are gonna define racism quite a bit differently. What is the fundamental problem behind racial division? Again, that's gonna probably be pretty different in their answers. Who can be racist? The answer to this question will be very different on both sides of the discussion. Who can be a victim of racism, okay? So I identify about, I don't know, 10 or 11 questions along these lines to highlight the fact that there are two competing models. And this has implications then in how we go about many activities that we might not be um, even consciously aware of. So this impacts um, books that are written, what Christian publishers consider diversity. Uh, you don't see a lot of books coming forward from mainstream Christian publishers from people in that second group of authors or, or voices. You don't hear that. The, the, the people with the book deals are the ones in that first group. This also impacts things like podcasting or when resources are recommended by schools and churches. You know, you can tell kind of which side this, this entity is on in the conversation by the types of resources that they will recommend. So I want to give you a couple of illustrations of how this shows up in real life. I'm going to start off with an example of a pretty big name entity. Hopefully they don't come after me. Um, so I'm going to start this off. I'll be here. All right, here we go. With uh, Right Now Media which is a big entity. It's kind of like Bible study videos on demand, I guess, is a way to look at it. It's a lot of resources by really famous voices. You can see J.D. Greer. Um, you saw Francis Chan there. You saw Dr. Tony Evans. There's Matt Chandler. Um, there's Dr. Tony Evans. He's on this front page quite prominently. Matt Chandler has a poll quote there. There's Dr. Tony Evans, Francis Chan. There's Dr. Tony Evans again, J.D. Greer, the former uh, president for the Southern Baptist Convention. So some churches will purchase memberships to Right Now Media and allow all their staff sometimes key volunteers, sometimes their whole church can go on right now media and access videos and all kinds of small group resources and all of that. There's Dr. Tony Evans again, and they can stream it on all their devices and all of this. This is a huge, huge entity. Okay. Very influential. Many churches have right now media subscriptions. Now, 
my point in using right now media is just to try to help people discern and reflect and understand how to to know through the voices that are being platformed on a particular website or in a particular resource, what side of the conversation that they're on, which model of race and racism do they hold to? So I'm going to give you an example here. Uh, We're going to go back to Right Now Media. And this is one of their series. And this one in particular is on race. So it offers a wonderful way of just kind of really quick understanding their position simply by looking at who they are platforming. We see right here up front, there's a talk by Lecrae. Um, We see George Yancey's featured on here, Al Tate, Derwin Gray, Brian Loritz, Leonce Crump, D.A. Horton. Uh, Another talk by George Yancey. Okay. Miles McPherson. So, and we also notice the language. There's um, a talk Miles McPherson gives systemic bias favors whiteness. Okay. That gives me kind of a clue as to what side of the conversation they're going to fall on it. That title sounds like they're falling in the first model of race and racism. Brian Loritz gives a talk on whiteness has its advantages. Derwin Gray on whiteness has its advantages. I'll tell you, they have three talks on this issue on whiteness has its advantages. There's two talks on systemic bias favors whiteness, two more up here. Now I know the, the point of view of some of these people, like George Yancey is an interesting guy. We've met him. He's very friendly. Um, I appreciate that he is somewhat critical of anti-racism. I appreciate the principle behind the mutual responsibility model that he puts forward. Sometimes in his book, I wish that there was a little bit, sometimes it feels like the discussion is a little bit um, less balanced than I would I would um, anticipate, but um, he definitely still holds to, you know, a version of systemic racism and systemic bias. So, you know, that kind of gives me some clues as to where they stand. Leonce Crump, I would say, is pretty firm on the model number one camp. Derwin Gray really tries to kind of ride in the middle, I would say, um, as does, I would say, I would kind of put Derwin Gray and Tony Evans kind of in a similar similar camp. But this, um, even without watching any of these sessions, I get a, 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 a vision pretty quickly of the types of voices that right now media is platforming. Well, here's another series that they have on their platform. It's from the MLK 50 conversation from 2018. So this is January of 2018. So it's a couple years before the pandemic, but they've got Charlie Dates on here. Um, Mika Ebbs Edmondson. Uh, Charlie Dates gives another talk. Uh, Eric Mason has a talk. I've listened to, it must be number seven here. Eric Mason's talk. Monique and I did a response video to that video um, a while back. Um, That was probably in 2019. Um, John Perkins is arguably the elder statesman of the civil rights movement. let me let me say something about the older civil rights generation. One thing that Monique and I have noticed in these older guys like Tony Evans, John Perkins, um, people that lived in the South, they lived through Jim Crow, they have a very unique perspective. They aren't necessarily all caught up in the critical race theory type of conversation. So when they use the word systemic racism, they are often using it kind of in a more old fashioned way where they're talking about systems in general, not the critical race theory version of systemic racism. So Monique and I often have grace for those older leaders um, because they just, they all, every one of them that we've talked to privately, they all kind of have a different come from and a different perspective than the younger generation. And so we, we just allow for a lot of grace on that issue. Um, Karen Ellis is on here. 
Now, I know Karen Ellis is not a CRT advocate, um, but, you know, she's on here with some people that I would say arguably come from that perspective, like Charlie Dates or Mika Edmondson. So just right out of the bat, I can kind of tell what through the types of voices that right now media is platforming, which side of the conversation they favor. And it's mostly side one, you know, the, the kind of the more critical race theory adjacent, critical race theory sympathetic point of view. And if you go on, Al Tate's got, you know, a, a couple of other series on here. Brian Loritz has some series. Eric Mason has several, several things. So there's definitely, you know, they, they don't have Bodie Bauckham on right now media, you know, they, they don't, they don't have the just thinking podcast on right now media that that's not who they're platforming. They're not platforming the center for biblical unity. Okay. So these are ways of just telling really quick. Okay. Where do people stand on this issue? What side of the conversation are they platforming? And that's totally their right. I I'm, I'm not here to tell right now media how to do their how to do business. I'm simply trying to help you as the consumer to understand what voices they're platforming, but also notice what voices they are not platforming. And that would be true if, let's say, a more conservative streaming service, let's say the American Gospel. Okay, I don't know if they have any race content on the American Gospel platform, um, but. I suspect they probably don't have critical race theory adjacent voices. Um, so that would tell you like, oh, who are they not platforming? Not platforming Mika Edmondson, Charlie Dates, you know? And so these things kind of reveal, all right, what side of the conversation is this entity on? And, and then... As you're thinking about it, if you're referring people to that resource, or if your school or your church is referring you to consider a resource, um, this this is a way of beginning to discern, okay, what perspective am I getting here? Okay, Elaine is asking, is it a bad sign or not necessarily if you don't know anyone from the opposite list? List one was very unfamiliar to me when you posted this. It depends, Elaine. Like my perspective on that is we can't all be experts on everything. I have to be familiar with voices on all sides of the conversation because <laughs> basically we have donors who pay us to be experts. So that's something that I have to do. But I do that in a bit on behalf of um, our constituents. And so, um, you know, when people say, well, what point of view does this person hold? My hope in developing this kind of two model approach or framework is to make it easier for people to understand like, oh, this person is on this side of the conversation or this person's on this side of the conversation or this person kind of tries to straddle the nebulous middle <laughs> in, in some way. Um, so I don't think that everybody has to be an expert on all sides of it, but I think some familiarity could be good, especially if you're like a leader in a church, maybe you're an elder in a church and you're getting ready to do pastoral recruiting. You're on the pulpit committee to recruit the next pastor. I think having some familiarity with some of these other voices and their point of view could really be useful in the interview situation to know how to ask strategic questions, to be able to listen for keywords and phrases, because that pastor that you're about to hire is going to be preaching from a particular point of view when these issues come up. And race is just kind of the, it's an example or the microcosm of the larger issue of how does this person deal with questions related to justice and social justice. So, um, you know, you as a layperson, 
might not have to be an expert in, in both sides of the conversation, but if you're a school principal, if you're a if you're a hire a person who does hiring at a Christian ministry, if you work in a Christian HR department, I think having some familiarity with both sides of the conversation would be really important. Um, Elena also asks, how do you not fall into the genetic fallacy by evaluating people ahead of time before reading content? Um, I think it would only be a fallacy if you're misjudging them. I mean, many of these people, they their their content is publicly and widely available. If you, if you don't have right now media subscription, you could go find uh, that Eric Mason talk on YouTube and watch it and be able to tell pretty quickly what side of the discussion he's on. I'm not saying blindly do this um, in accepting these criteria, but in general, the voices that I've outlined in that blog post, they definitely fall on one side or the other for the, for the most part. Okay, let me check Facebook. Okay, there's a question on Facebook. All these topics and perspectives only are only addressing the American scene. How global is the Christian discussion on this or on the other side? I think that that's a very important question and something that Monique and I try to bring up regularly on our side of the conversation is definitely having a global and historical perspective on the faith. And in my opinion, that is a critical correction to a lot of this is is having that okay let's let's continue here oops all right now i want to look at a second example so the first example was right now media now i'm going to look at a second example which is from the orange curriculum now, uh, the Orange Curriculum is a very popular Sunday school curriculum that is, I think, in 10,000 churches. Um, it might even be more than that. That number sounds low, but I'll be conservative. It might be more, um, but it's thousands. And uh, the Orange Curriculum has, you know, a, a, a reach because it it really aims to be non-denominational. So you might find a Lutheran church using the orange curriculum, and right down the road, you might find a Baptist church using the orange curriculum. It's also intentionally designed so that it might appeal to churches that are more theologically conservative and also more theologically progressive. They really try to be very strategic and careful in their wording so that it has the widest appeal possible. So you might see things on their website, for example, um, where they use gendered language very sparsely. Everything is people and humans as opposed to boys and girls or him and her. Um, there's it, it, and I, my hunch, I don't know this to be a fact. My hunch though, is that the reason they do that in part is so that it will appeal to more progressive churches, some churches who might even be gay affirming. And so they use this, um, gender neutral people, human language a lot in their materials and on their website and in their resources. So this question then because of the large influence of orange and because of the type of language that they use on their website in in public situations you know the question that raised in my mind is well i wonder how they're guiding students in conversations about race and justice again what is their point of view if i'm a parent if i'm a kids pastor and i want to know like hey What's the point of view that's being that's being put forward through Orange? Um, I think that's a legitimate question. So again, I want to use this two model strategy to um, help us uh, take a look at that. So this is an article by um, the CEO 
of Orange. It's called, uh, his name is Reggie Joyner. The name of the article is on race equality in the church. <laughs> Let's get it right this time. And if I'm remembering correctly, I don't see the date right now, but I, I think that um, this article came out in 2020 at the height of all the social unrest. And so this was kind of a position paper um, in, in a sense, uh, a very light position paper of Orange's stance and coming directly from the CEO. And what's interesting to me about this is, first of all, the, the, the language here is very general. So, and this is typical of Orange, is you don't really know what side of the conversation they're on because they make a lot of very general statements that pretty much everybody would agree with across denominations and across theological affiliations, even more progressive ones. So they're again, they're very strategic in how they how they word things. But when I scroll all the way down, this is where I think they tip their hand a little bit is they have recommended resources. And this is often what you have to look to. So they what I see immediately is they're recommending Latasha Morrison's Be the Bridge. And Latasha Morrison has said there's public documents to this effect that she has been influenced to a degree and has embedded some principles of critical race theory into her framework for racial reconciliation. So that's that's important to know. Here we see Al Tate again. Um, he was a big, he's been a big voice um, on the Right Now media platform. Um, we see also, interestingly, here's Lecrae again. Um, and we see, I thought this one was really interesting, uh, T.D. Jakes, who is arguably a oneness Pentecostal and quite possibly a heretic. But um, okay, so I don't know if Jakes has done much um, about race issues, but what I also noticed from this list is that there's really no overtly... Um, overt adherence to the other side of the conversation, um, more of the stream that the Center for Biblical Unity would be in. We, who do we not see on the list? We do not see Vody Bauckham. We don't see the Just Thinking podcast. We don't see Sam Say. We don't see um, Center for Biblical Unity or Monique Toussaint. So these lists of recommended resources are still revelatory. So even though the, the article itself is very general and makes a lot of very general statements that I think most people who name the name of Christ would agree with, um, it, it doesn't really tip its hand about the perspective until we get to the resources. But that's a helpful tip for you to know. Um, when we look in their store, we see some confirmation of this. Um, we see the they, they're actually not just recommending Be the Bridge, they're selling Be the Bridge. And you can also get um, a discussion guide for Be the Bridge. And they have Al Tate's book, Love Matters, is also for sale. And um, this, these are points of view that would summarize and I think represent the viewpoint that Orange is coming from. So again, it just helps us notice what side of the conversation that they're on. Okay. Now, another thing that you can check, you know, as you're looking at resources is uh, in the case of Orange, like who are the valued voices that they put forward? In July of 2020, they did a live stream with Dr. Tony Evans. And um, I'm not going to take the time to go through the whole live stream and everything. But if you want to listen to it, um, just go on the Orange Leaders Facebook page. It's still there. Um, if you start listening from like about 21 minutes into it till about 35 minutes into it, uh, there's a good chunk in there where Dr. Tony Evans is really addressing a lot of race issues. And, you know, some things he says, and again, on the older generation, I'm kind of willing to have a bit more grace. I just finished recently reading Dr. Tony Evans' book, The Updated Version of Oneness Embraced. And I would say of all the books I've read on race, that one's probably the one that 
we would most closely align with. Um, there were some things I was like, I don't know what he means by this. I wish that we could sit over for coffee and I could ask him some clarifying questions. But I mean, overall, I generally agreed with it. Now, I don't know if his thoughts have developed since July of 2020, because in the video that's on the Orange Leaders website, he says some things that I'm like, this kind of contradicts his what he says in the book. So maybe he was still kind of thinking through his position. Again, I'm, I want to give him some, some grace on that to a degree. Um, but Orange also featured Al Tate in another video that's also on the Orange Leaders Facebook page. And, um, you know, I think our approach to racism, race and racism will be quite a bit different than, than Al Tate. So again, they seem to be favoring that side of the discussion. So this is just a kind of a quick way to help illustrate how to figure out where an entity is coming from is really just by looking at, all right, what voices are they platforming? What point of view are, are they coming from? Oh, is it stream one or stream two? Now, once again, I'm talking about a blog post that I wrote a few months ago. It's called What BIPOC Voices Should I Follow? And really what I attempted to outline in that post is that there are two models um, about race and racism that are floating around many Christian spaces. Even many quote-unquote historically conservative Christian spaces, churches, ministries, um, colleges, Christian colleges, Christian schools. And so I'm trying to give you some tips for how to figure out where your kids' Christian school is coming from. What resources is the, is the administration recommending that your kids read? What books are they having them interact with? What books are they requiring them to read in class? And then you can look at that blog post and begin to see, oh, okay, it's answering questions from this framework. Okay, the first example I gave you was Right Now Media. Then we talked about the Orange Curriculum. Uh, I want to give one more example, and this is something that hits a little bit closer to home. Um, when, and this is kind of a an issue that I see happen a lot at Christian colleges, and this has to do with chapel um, chapel speakers. When a Christian college platforms a chapel speaker that's in that first stream, you know, somebody like um, Christina Edmondson or Jamar Tisby and, and uh, Eric Mason, you know, and they those are the voices that they're platforming in their, their college chapels. I think that that ought to inform us as parents, um, you know, when we're vetting a school, all right, what side, what framework, what model is the school more sympathetic to? Is it model one or is it model two? Last, I guess two weeks ago now, Monique spoke in chapel at a big Christian college. And um, they had previously platformed a voice from, you know, side one of the conversation. And now two years later, they bring in Monique and she's representing a different side of the conversation in side two. Um, so now this, this school within a two year span has publicly platformed voices on both sides. What impact do you think that that move could have um, for students? Like, how are those students supposed to adjudicate which perspective is, let's say, more biblical? Both were in chapel. Both look like from the outside that they have the school seal of approval. Um, they're up there as chapel speakers. Um, but they're coming at the questions very differently. They have different answers to these questions. 
So when we do that in, let's say, a chapel situation, but could it just as easily be in a in a church situation, you know, um, where resources might be recommended on both sides of the discussion? Are we doing an adequate amount of job, uh, uh, an adequate job in discipling the people who are under our spiritual care, whether that's college students in a college chapel situation? or whether that's people in the pew in, in our church, like how are they supposed to adjudicate which side of the conversation is more biblical? Do they have enough training? Are they even being equipped to, to begin to adjudicate that? I think that is where it gets very tricky because let's say in a Biola chapel, a Biola student um, starts following chapel speaker. It's not uncommon. They really enjoyed the chapel message. They go on Instagram, they click on follow, and they start seeing this chapel speaker's posts on the regular coming up in their feed. Well, if that person was platformed in a chapel, I'm not talking about like a Wednesday night debate or an open public forum where we're going to host a variety of perspectives. But in a chapel message, we're sending a message that the, the school thinks that this person, this voice is somebody that has spiritual value and maturity and reflects the school's point of view to some degree. Um, so, and the, so the students following this person, they've been following him for a year, two years on social media. And then they start interacting with that content and they notice, wow, this, this big name evangelical voice who came to my chapel um, is actually pretty soft on abortion and call. In fact, this person um, is also gay affirming. Well, now what do I do? Like as a student, I might be inclined to think, well, my school put this person on the platform, they put them in a chapel. Um, this must be how I'm supposed to be a good disciple um, of, of Jesus. And I think that that is the, the, one of the impacts of this conversation and making sure that our institutions, the institutions that we support with our money and that we invest in with our time you know, how are they um, preserving the faith for the next generation and who they platform has impacts, who they hire has impacts in how those students are discipled. And, you know, many of us as, as adults, we struggle to adjudicate these issues. We struggle with that. How, how do we expect like a young 19 year old to adjudicate a very complicated problem um, by putting two sides up in chapel, if, you know, they don't understand all the nuances of the conversation. Um, it's, it's a tricky issue. And again, this, this, this isn't just about, I'm just using the chapel thing as, as an example, but it, it definitely um, impacts us in our churches and in our schools and, and all of that as Christians. Now, Jamar Tisby has been featured in many prominent evangelical spaces. He has videos on the Gospel Coalition website. He's been featured on the Jude 3 podcast. Jude 3 was financed and, and publicized in part by um, RZIM uh, when, when that was going. And so Jamar Tisby is a pretty big name um, and has been given a pretty big platform in a lot of evangelical spaces. But just this last week, he's he's doing a um, series right now on his channel uh, called "Those Meddling Kids," and it's it's kind of um, making his case for how he answers the big questions about race and racism. And I would say he's pretty deeply um, sympathetic to anti-racism of the Kendi variety and and of the critical race theory variety. Well, this um, recently he had on a guest, Jackie Lewis, um, and you can go on uh, my friend Woke Preacher Clips and watch this video, but Tisby just 
just really um, loves her and is so glad that she's on his show and thinks that her, her work is wonderful and is commending her to the students. And this this series, these those meddling kids, is particularly for college students. It is particularly for young people. Well, Miss Lewis is a minister who's like completely 100% gay affirming, um, think, you know, doesn't think God has a gender, you know, is God could be a woman, all of this kind of stuff. And I'm going to play this, this clip. I'm so excited for you to meet our next guest, the Reverend Dr. Jackie Lewis. Welcome to those meddling kids. I'm so glad to be here. What a fantastic series this is. Come on, keep up with <laughs> the getting even better with you here. Y'all, I cannot tell you how excited I am to hear from Reverend Dr. Lewis. I'm a universalist Christian pastor. I've not had an abortion, but I strongly believe it's my right to choose. Every birthing person's right to choose. He showed up at the steps of the Supreme Court to wave, to rage, and yes, even to pray for abortion access. Do I believe in a literal second coming of Jesus Christ? No, I do not believe in the literal second coming of Jesus Christ. To be honest with you, I think the second coming of Christ is you and me. We are the living body of Christ. What if we looked at each other and saw we nearly missed being God's? Just by a little bit. Happy coming out today to all my queer friends. You are loved by a God who has no pronouns, a God who made you exactly like you are. May God make her face to shine upon you. You get to name God the way you want to name God, and you get to name you the way you want to be named. And our job is to see you and love you and honor you. See you and love you and honor you. Trans people are divine, and transphobia is a sin. And I've been changed in my life. But my relationships and my activism with my queer siblings, you have cleared me. You have cracked my heart wide open. You have made me want to be a better everyone. And most especially a partner in the liberation of humanity. So thank you and never stop loving your amazing self. God bless you. Middle Church is my jam. Middle Church is my multiracial, multicultural, multi-all the things, queer-friendly, woman-led experiment about multiracial life in America. And 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 you're a national voice, international voice, really, on this. So again, honored by your presence. Okay. If you had a young person who started following Jamar Tisby seeing his content on social media he he was recommended by his youth pastor or his books were recommended through your church as a resource two years ago your young person starts following him maybe he was a chapel speaker at your students christian college this is the kind of content that they would potentially be interacting with by this point and thinking that you know this is what it means to be a disciple of of Jesus. This is the the you know part of what it means. I think that that is where this conversation really becomes extremely important. I'm trying to advocate for full knowledge of and transparency to know what side of the conversation is being platformed. Why? Because these positions have consequences. It is um, it is not uncommon that the the first model, if if people start going down that path, um, that the authority of scripture can not in all cases, but when I look at some of the cases that definitely seems to be a trajectory for some people and it becomes a gateway for them to undermining the authority of scripture and in some cases um begin the process of deconstructing so i think that this is why this this is an important conversation to understand that there are two models out there. Both of them are competing in the realm of ideas. 
but only one of the models is considered to really be reflective of diversity. So when you hear that word, well, we need a more diverse staff or we need to engage in diversity hiring at the ministry or at our church or at our school, that almost always means hiring in that first column. It's not in the column of Center for Biblical Unity or Sam Say or Just Thinking or or any of those. So Elaine says, yes, Jamar Tisby was recommended to me from someone in my church denomination. It helped me to have Neil Shenby's reviews, but it also made me lazy to read it all myself. Yeah. And this is one of the reasons why Monique and I are so firm about sponsoring book groups where we want people to be interacting with first sources. We do not want you to be taking our word for it. We want you to go read books of this other perspective. If you need to, if you're a a church elder, like my friend, Jeff Davis on the, on the stream here, he's been an elder in his church and he has really done a lot to equip himself so that he can engage in conversations with his colleagues at church, acting in leadership and kind of knowing what time it is um, so that he can help guide careful conversations when he's um, interacting with other church leaders. So these are, these are very important issues. Okay. Elise, Elisa Childers is on my stream. Uh, How do we discern between voices who hover between the two positions? That is such a good question. And what questions should we ask? Okay, this is a good question. This make a good blog post in and of itself, because I, I I've been reading um, some of the people that are in that middle. Like I would consider, um, like I said before, Tony Evans kind of in that middle position. Derwin Gray kind of more in the middle the middle position. Um, I think that someone like John Perkins, who is an older, you know, the elder statesman of the civil rights movement, more in that middle position. So, for example, in John Perkins' book, the theology chapters are really solid. Um, Tony Evans' book, theology chapters, very, very solid. Where I might have some differences is when we turn to the issue of systemic racism. One of the big questions I have to ask when I see an author use that word is how are they defining it? Are they defining it in the 1950s Jim Crow kinds of systems? And this is what I find again in the older generation is that tends to be how they're using the term or are they defining it in the critical race theory kind of definition where systems are embedded everywhere and always favoring um, whiteness? I think that's one of the the lines of demarcation um, that I would look for. Um, Another issue in these kind of middle position books that I always wish is more clear, like Miles McPherson's book, The Third Option, is another kind of middle position book, Um, is I wish that those voices would do more to say that racism is a sin that everyone can participate in and give examples from a variety of racial groups so that we are really clear that everybody can participate in racism. It's not just all the examples are from white to black. And there's times in some of these books of the, these kind of middle voices that I'm like, I don't know if this person's completely thought this all the way through on this issue. Do they really believe that black people can participate in racism? Why don't they have any examples about that in the book? So those are kind of the two key issues that I look for um, on those kind of hovering middle people. So great question though. All right, friends, that's what I've got for you tonight. I hope you found this helpful. Um, This is a stream I've been wanting to do for a while. 
and just been busy being on the road. So to go back to our original question, which BIPOC voices should you follow? It depends. Um, it depends on why you're following them. Uh, I think that Monique and I are for a free exchange of ideas. We welcome different models because we wanna dialogue with each other, see which models overlap and which models offer the best biblical fidelity and how we can sharpen one another, um, how we can help each other get better and really strengthen our biblical fidelity. But we don't wanna fall into the trap of thinking all models are equally true. Um, the models need to be weighed against scripture and your leadership teams really need to do their due diligence to think these questions all the way through because it will impact who you hire, who you platform, who you who you get to put, come to your women's conference, um, who you get to uh, as a chapel speaker at your school. Even in student recruiting, I think um, in Christian colleges, it can't all be a top-down approach. It also, to some degree, has to be a bottom-up approach where admissions counselors need to have some standards of how they're going to um, engage in recruiting and looking for students that have a biblical worldview. So these questions have immense importance. So I hope you found this teaching helpful. Don't forget, like, share, comment. And even if you're watching the replay, still like, share, and comment. It really helps the algorithms to get out. Thank you so much. God bless and good night. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to subscribe to the Theology Mom podcast and add your review. You can also follow Krista at Theology Mom on Facebook and YouTube. Join Krista for more theology adventures on the All The Things Show, co-hosted with Monique Dusan. Thanks for listening.